All right, listen, guys, I get it. Many of you are unable to financially support this ministry because you're spending your cash and your lives on raising young children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Praise God for you and that endeavor. However, algorithms are a thing. Shadow banning, sadly, is a thing. And one major way that you can help to expand the reach and effectiveness of this ministry that doesn't cost you a dime is by spending just a few moments leaving us a five-star review. Also, perhaps even more effective than that, you can share our podcast with a friend. We hope you'll take the time to do so. Thank you so much. God bless. All right, welcome back to another episode of Theology Applied. I am your host, Pastor Joel Webin with Right Response Ministries. Now, if you joined us last week, then you know we're right in the middle of an unusual but very important and interesting three-part series exclusively focusing on Eastern Orthodoxy. Part one last week was focusing on three deadly heresies committed by Eastern Orthodoxy. Today, we're focusing on what's the difference between Eastern Orthodoxy and Roman Catholicism? That's part two. What's the difference between Eastern Orthodoxy and Roman Catholicism? Many similarities, both very dangerous with certain heresies, but there are distinctions nonetheless. Protestants need to be informed and understand what these distinctions are. That's part two. That's the episode you're watching right now. If you stick with us in this journey, next week will be the final and third part of this mini-series where we'll focus on three of the primary reasons that certain Protestants just in the last few recent years have switched teams, so to speak, from Protestant Reformed doctrine over to Eastern Orthodoxy. So, part one, last week, three deadly heresies committed by Eastern Orthodoxy. This week, part two, the difference between EO and Roman Catholicism. Next week, three of the primary reasons why Protestants keep keep gravitating towards the catnip of Eastern Orthodoxy, which is important for us to be aware of. That'll be next week, but today we focus on EO versus Roman Catholicism. Whoa, 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 you're gonna wanna hear this. Our next two conferences are coming up quick. We've got first our fall conference. This is November 11th and 12th. That's a full day Saturday and a holdover for the Lord's Day, November 12th. Uh, Who's speaking at this conference? Well, we've got Jared Longshore and Chris Wiley and yours truly, Pastor Joel Webbin. What's the title? The title is The Household and the War for the Cosmos. Now I know you're thinking, wait a second, you can't use that title, Joel. That's the title for Chris Wiley's book. Well, I can use it because he's gonna be there speaking and he gave me his permission. We're gonna be talking about the household as the basic building block for pushing back the kingdom of darkness in this world. We're gonna be talking about biblical patriarchy. We're gonna be talking about marriage and parenting, how to keep your kids, how to shape and form them like straight arrows, like sharp arrows that do damage to the kingdom of darkness, training our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. A full day on Saturday, November 11th, and then holding Jared Longshore over for the Lord's Day, November 12th, to preach at my church, Covenant Bible Church, in Central Texas. You can register at the early bird rate, which will not last long, but you can register at the 
early bird rate today by going to rightresponseconference.com. Again, that's rightresponseconference.com. Now, our second conference is our spring conference. This is Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, March 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. The title for this conference, Blueprints for Christendom 2.0. Blueprints for Christendom 2.0. We don't want to revert back to Christendom 1.0, although it would certainly be a whole lot better than the clown world that we're currently living in. But we recognize, despite the phenomenal features of a prior Christendom, there were certain bugs that we'd like to see worked out. So we're not going back. We are pushing forward to Christendom 2.0. We believe that the blueprints are seven doctrines for ruling the world righteously. What are these seven doctrines? Well, it's reformed confessionalism. It's covenant theology. It's biblical patriarchy. It's presuppositionalism and Kuyperianism and general equity theonomy and hopeful eschatology post-millennialism. Who's going to be teaching us on these doctrines? Voldemort, he who must not be named, Pastor Douglas Wilson himself. You also got Mr. Bright Hearth, Mr. Kings Hall, Mr. Haunted Cosmos, Pastor Brian Sauvé. And we also have Dr. Joseph Boot and, of course, yours truly, Pastor Joel Webbin. We'll be doing seven primary lectures as well as two 90-minute panels with all the speakers together, and we'll likely add a couple more speakers along the way. Again, that's March 1st, 2nd and 3rd, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It's Blueprints for Christendom 2.0. We've got the early bird rate going right now, but it will run out quickly. So go to rightresponseconference.com, rightresponseconference.com to register today. Applying God's Word to every aspect of life. This is Theology Applied. Now kind of moving to the second half, wanting to compare and contrast, you know, EO with Roman Catholicism, everything that you're saying is pretty much the same as Rome. Like the different, you know, so Rome is going to have, you know, carved images, whereas my understanding is Eastern Orthodoxy is going to say a graven image. That's where we draw the line, you know, but we just, we, we just kiss and worship paintings, <laughs> you know, like 2D, 2D idolatry, we're down, you know, but, but 3D idolatry, now that's real idolatry. Like other than that, you know, um, what, you know, introducing works into the equation with faith for salvation, introducing, you know, a, a authority of tradition as an equal infallible authority to scripture, denying sola scriptura, deny, you know, all in, in regards to those kinds of things, um, Eastern Orthodoxy and Roman Catholicism sounds very similar. Uh, but could you, one question that I've had that I just, you know, I, I just not super familiar with is Rome has a Pope. What, what do the Orthodox have? What's their, what's their Pope? Um, well, they don't have a pope, uh, even though the ecumenical patriarch would like to be a pope. Um, and so some <laughs> people are very frustrated and annoyed with him uh, politically because he'll sometimes act unilaterally as though he were a pope. Um, but really, usually the, the authority is invested or seen as invested in synodality or conciliarity, which is a fancy word to say the councils. Okay. So when the church comes together in these seven ecumenical councils, uh, that's the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking through the church. Um, but when you have these gotcha. kind of like Anglican convert people into 
uh, or Episcopalian converts into Eastern Orthodoxy, a lot of Episcopalians will have kind of like a, a romantic appreciation of the seven ecumenical councils. And okay. so they'll kind of like swallow the Seventh Ecumenical Council uh, sometimes in, in a way. Uh, well, actually, maybe back, let me back up. They'll, they'll enter into Eastern Orthodoxy and kind of give like a certain grandeur to the Seven Ecumenical Councils that the Eastern Orthodox Church indigenously doesn't really have. Um, they continued to meet in councils. And so hmm. the council in 1672 is a completely binding council. It wasn't one of the seven ecumenical councils, but it came up but, later in the 17th century and was accepted by all of the Eastern Orthodox Church. And so therefore it's binding. So a just modern, as much as the seven. Say that, say that again. It's, it's just as binding as, as the seven? Yeah, it couldn't be less okay. than binding because the, the Eastern Orthodox Church can never fail. The Eastern Orthodox Church never died. It never, you know, like when Rome fell away, it ceased being the church which is another one of the things that the, the Eastern Orthodox Church affirm. If you don't use their calendar, you're anathema. You're outside the church. Mm. Uh, you know, if you don't, if you're not under an Eastern Orthodox bishop, then you're not even a Christian, they'll say. Wow. Uh, much less in a church. So the councils that an Orthodox Christian has technically above them from like the 17th century, that's still binding because they're still the church and the church never died. The church never failed. And they're the only church. And so it's not like the Eastern Orthodox Church formally affirms that any other group is either a Christian or a church. Now, that's one difference with the Roman Catholics is that they'll sometimes call the Eastern Orthodox Church a church, or they'll sometimes call uh, Protestants separated brethren or something mm. like that, because Vatican II was kind of like a PR repair job in a lot of, way of, mm. a lot of ways of Vatican I which had those very strict statements. If you're not under the Pope, you're, you're anathema. Right. Um, right. So Vatican II kind of backtracked that. And then they used Cardinal Henry Newman and his doctrine of development to kind of like give the theological impetus, you know, to Vatican II's shifting of their weight, uh, so mm. to speak, uh, the shift of gravity. But the Eastern Orthodox Church has always thought of themselves as the only church. And it just happened to be that the Pope of Rome used to be a part of the, or the Orthodox Church. And now he's not. Now he's not. He's a Pope of nothing. Um, mm. And so that's the that's the canonical side of it. But if you get into the ecumenist side of it, you'll find them. I mean, you know, there was a, a recent uh, baptizing of the of the child of a gay couple, a gay married couple in an Orthodox hmm. Church. You know, uh, so it becomes kind of like anything really happens in these Eastern Orthodox churches. So they have this kind of paper unity, um, but really there isn't uh, an, an objective, factual unity because they don't really listen much to some of these councils. Then you have other people who listen to them a lot and they don't really meet in the middle. They just kind of live right. in a permanent state of Cold War, so to speak, or mm. a permanent state of Cold Civil War. And you have right. that kind of manifest today between the Russian Orthodox Patriarch and the Greek Orthodox Patriarch. Um, they're not in communion right now, the Russians and the Greeks. Uh, and so which one's the true Orthodox Church? Well, they haven't figured it out yet. 
<laughs> right. That, that's similar to Rome in the sense that, you know, at one point within Roman Catholicism history, there were three popes simultaneously. It's like, well, which, did we get the right one? Because with this, you know, this whole papal succession, you know, that, you know, if, if we missed it, you know, then, then we've been off on our popes for, you know, hundreds of years. We, we went with the wrong line. So I, I think I like what you said earlier, just to backtrack a little bit. I think that's one of the primary deceptions is that both with Rome and Eastern Orthodoxy, um, they like to present this united front. Like we have always been the same for 2000 years, no changes whatsoever. And we're completely unified, yeah. this streamlined united front on all of our, and and with paper, it's there. Um, but, you know, I, I can speak more to Roman Catholicism than I can Eastern Orthodoxy. But within Roman Catholicism, I mean, it's just, you know, it, it depends what the Pope ate last night and how he's feeling when he wakes up in the morning. What, you know, who knows what's going to come out of his mouth. Uh, rampant contradictions. And then you go to each individual bishop and down to each different uh, individual parish and priest. Um, and yeah, you, you may be serving the Lord's Supper to Nancy Pelosi, who kills babies, you know, by the thousands or, or you might not, you know, and it's just, and, and so to pretend as though it's like, well, we have this streamlined position and Protestants, they're the ones that are, you know, 3000 different denominations. And I think Protestants are just more honest in the sense that we're just saying, yeah, we, we, we have different views of doctrine and we have different individual denominations and individual churches. Um, and so do you, you have priests that are baptizing, you know, the, the, the baby of the gay couple and priests that won't baptize the baby. Like that is not the same. You're not on the same page. Um, we just say we're not on the same page. All right, welcome back to another episode of Theology Applied. I am your host, Pastor Joel Webin with Right Response Ministries. Now, if you joined us last week, then you know we're right in the middle of an unusual but very important and interesting three-part series exclusively focusing on Eastern Orthodoxy. Part one last week was focusing on three deadly heresies committed by Eastern Orthodoxy. Today, we're focusing on What's the difference between Eastern Orthodoxy and Roman Catholicism? That's part two. What's the difference between Eastern Orthodoxy and Roman Catholicism? Many similarities, both very dangerous with certain heresies, but there are distinctions nonetheless. Protestants need to be informed and understand what these distinctions are. That's part two. That's the episode you're watching right now. If you stick with us in this journey, next week will be the final and third part of this mini-series where we'll focus on three of the primary reasons that certain Protestants just in the last few recent years have switched teams, so to speak, from Protestant Reformed doctrine over to Eastern Orthodoxy. So, part one, last week, three deadly heresies committed by Eastern Orthodoxy. This week, part two, the difference between EO and Roman Catholicism. Next week, three of the primary reasons why Protestants keep, keep gravitating towards the catnip of Eastern Orthodoxy, which is important for us to be aware of. That'll be next week, but today we focus on EO versus... Can I be frank with you for just a second, right here at the end? Look, some of you guys, you're financially supporting this ministry, and from the bottom of my heart, I say thank you. I cannot thank you enough. 
However, some of you, you just, you can't afford it. In fact, some of you, you shouldn't afford it. Let's be honest. I mean, we're living in Joe Biden's ridiculous economy. Our nation and our totalitarian political elites lost their minds over the last three years due to COVID. We have written checks that we simply cannot cash. It doesn't matter if people change the definition of a recession. We are living in a recession right now regardless. Some of you are struggling to afford a carton of eggs at the grocery store. You cannot support financially this ministry at this time, nor should you. But you could still help us tremendously. I am asking you, please, if you're willing to do so, Take one minute of your time. Leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform, iTunes, Spotify, whatever that might be. This is the way the system works. We want to be innocent as doves, but shrewd as vipers. We need to be strategic. You leave us a five-star review, and our podcast shows up for more people. And the Word of God and courageous theology applied in practical ways to every realm of life gets out there. Help us get it out there. Thanks for tuning in.